What's going on, guys? Back at it again with a 20th and Blake podcast, part of MileHighSports.com. I am your host, Luke Zalman, um, and be sure to take a look on MileHighSports.com. We have a recap of the first day of the draft. We have a recap of the Rockies' most recent loss to the Cubs. Um, and we will also have a feature about Ryan McMahon and Brendan Rogers coming out later this week, so stay tuned for that one. Um, pretty disappointing loss for the Rockies tonight. Um, you know, they just really couldn't get it going against Kyle Hendricks. There were subtle moments where, you know, they were able to put something together, but Hendricks has been one of the better pitchers in the league. My thing that I noticed above all else is how much the Rockies strike out on the road. Um, it was something I noticed in the game because Kyle Hendricks is not a huge strikeout guy. And I noticed that he was striking out a ton of Rockies. I mean, he struck out 10 in seven innings. So that immediately put up a little bit of a red flag in my head. I thought, so why why did they strike out so much against Kyle Hendricks? And is that a trend? Um, and I came to notice that the Colorado Rockies' biggest trend that they've had the past couple years and for much of their history has been an enormous amount of strikeouts on the road more than at home. Um, and I kind of, I kind of just wanted to dive into the numbers a little bit and kind of point out that when they are striking out, the offense is obviously being downgraded. And that's a huge part of why they haven't been nearly as good on the road this year. Why this recent homestand, they were amazing and why it kind of impacts them the rest of the year, the way that it will, as far as their win loss record goes, as far as their upcoming West coast road trip, that could very well determine you know, the fate of their season, really. Um, so looking at it, tonight they had 10 strikeouts against Hendricks. That was all the strikeouts they had. None against um, Steve Chizik and Pedro Strope. Zero Ks against them, but 10 against Hendricks. Three for Rymel Tapia, two for Story. Um, hard night for Tapia. That uh, career-long hitting streak ended. Um, Arenado was able to extend his, so I guess there's a subtle bright spot. Um, but one thing that I noticed is that if you look at their numbers this year alone, home and away, they're now up to 303 strikeouts on the road. And that's in 29 games in home games. They have 30 and they have 250 strikeouts. So you can see already with about half of their, you know, under half, but getting towards half of their games played both on the home and both at home and on the road, they're already about 53 strikeouts away from, you know, in their splits. And in turn, their batting average on the road is at 229, not including tonight. Um, probably went down even more. I mean, they went six for 32 tonight. Um, so what three for 16, um, that's about two, you know, two thirty ish. So it's going to sit right about where it is once they update it. Um, but their on base percentage is two eighty three at home or on the road. Excuse me. Um, just ridiculous. When you compare it to their home numbers, three sixty eight at home. Um, those strikeouts are having an astronomical impact on their production and then I went to look at, okay, so if they are having these strikeout games, when when are these strikeout games happening? These high strikeout games, these losses where they just can't get the ball in play. And one thing I noticed 
was that seven of their eight highest strikeout games of the year and nine or excuse me, 10 out of 12 of those, they have all been on the road. When you look at 10 of their 12 worst strikeout games on the year, they've been on the road. I mean, it's just been out of this world. I mean, they faced Sale that one day, had a huge number of strikeouts against him, had the 24 strikeout game against San Francisco when they went into extras. So those are subtle outliers. Um, But they just, all of their strikeouts are coming on the road. And then when I looked at 2018, they had almost, they had over 100 more strikeouts on the road. And then in 2017, they also had more than 100 strikeouts on the road as compared to their home numbers. So it made me think, well, why exactly is that? And then I started to research a little bit because I have my own theories about why that is. Um, Having been a pitcher in Colorado back in the day, um, one thing you'll notice is that if you go and pitch somewhere else, say in a tournament, if you're at a lower level, if you go pitch somewhere else and then come back to Colorado, the breaking stuff has subtly different movement. And I think that's what's royally screwing up the Rockies. When they're at home, say Clayton Kershaw's in town or Robbie Ray's in town or even a Zach Granke, their slider and curveball is going to have less movement at altitude than it will at lower altitudes. So when they go to Chicago, the breaking stuff breaks more than it does in Colorado. When they go to Boston, the breaking stuff breaks more than it does in Colorado. Therefore, they half of their games they're playing they're seeing breaking pitches that are not breaking nearly as much so say nolan arenado goes up to the plate in colorado he has five at bats and sees two curveballs in each at bat and then he flies to i don't know he flies to tampa the very next night and goes and has the exact same at bats those pitches are going to look different so after a 10 game homestand when they head out on the road to chicago those pitches look completely different than the pitches that they just faced for 10 straight games and so that is a huge part of why they're being royally why it's a royal detriment when they return home as opposed to the road because then when they get back home and they see these pitchers at home they're throwing the exact same pitches as they saw on the road but the movement is much is is just less and so they're able to hit balls much easier i mean that's two plus two equals four that's easy enough to understand and so then i went and looked the k percentages of each player trevor story nolan arenado uh, David Dahl, they're all going up on the road. So when you look at things like that, that's why they have been so bad on the road in so many different seasons. Um, it's easy to, you know, it's easy to just chalk it up as well at cores there. At cores, they're getting more home runs, more doubles, but that's not what is necessarily happening. Yes, cores has a bigger outfield and allows for more doubles, more singles to drop in, but the real problem is with that breaking stuff. They are seeing completely different pitches at one spot and another, and it kind of it made me think of Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy got hurt and had to come back and basically catch up to pitchers. So if you were to look at the Rockies numbers on the road 
basically what is happening is when they have a long home stand, say six games, say 10 games like they just had, and then they head on the road, they're playing instant catch up at that moment. They had one day to get to Chicago Take BP in Chicago, and BP, you're not going to see the breaking stuff of a Kyle Hendricks. So they're seeing this, and they're being forced to adjust in-game, catch up, and that's why their first series of the year you saw in Miami when they hadn't really seen, obviously spring training took place in Arizona. Not huge altitude, but decent altitude. And then they go to Miami, have a good series right away. And that's because that was their first series. They had not played at home yet. And then if you go back and you, you know, you shuffle through their results on the year, you look at once they returned against LA, they were striking out once again and not putting the ball in play nearly as much. And then they head right back out on the road to San Fran. They're in their first three games alone in San Fran. They struck out 42 times in three games. The strikeouts went down when they get at home. Even though they weren't putting the ball in play, the strikeouts went down. And then they had back out on the road. The strikeouts spike once again. So they're being forced to adjust from one ballpark to the other. And it's completely inhibiting them from having consistent success on the road. And it made me think, is there... I mean, they installed the humidor. They're trying to install things that make the ball act the same way at home and on the road. But the problem is, is it's just not possible for them to be able to do it unless they were able to install a controlled dome of some parts. So the Rockies being able to being able to slug so well at home and then struggle on the road is just something that they cannot change. And that made me think, well, what exactly are the Rockies chances if they're going to have to go on the road for a playoff series or say they have to go on the road for a wild card game again this year they're instantly going to be behind the eight ball I mean you saw what happened when they had to go to Milwaukee last year for that for the first two first two games of that series and then you saw what happened when they had to go to Chicago for the wild card game their offense was abysmal i mean they weren't scoring runs whatsoever striking out an astronomical rate and it's just something that's going to inhibit them unless they can somehow figure out how to take bp during games at cores where it's simulating the exact same movement they're going to see on the road because unless they can do that the strikeouts are going to continue to strike for them on the road that brings me to my next topic my next topic is about the Rockies draft. Um, I by no means consider myself a draft expert. It is hard enough to cover an, a team and an entire organization for an entire season, much less pay attention to all the college you know, hitters, pitchers, and everything in between. It is very difficult, but I did look into the day two picks that the Rockies made. As far as day one goes, I think it's a mixed bag for me. I don't see, I, I, I don't know. I don't see anything game changing. I feel like their pick of Taglio, Taglio, I, I struggle with the names, but I feel like their first round pick, Michael Taglio, was just, it seemed like a reach. It seemed like no one was going to, you know, take him anytime soon it seemed like the Rockies took him before a lot of other teams would have planned to and that by no means 
is to say that they were going to get him with their next round pick. But to take a switch hitting first baseman that struggles with the strike zone, it's just really hard to see him being a huge impact guy. He has huge raw power. Totally understand it. But they're, the way their organization is stacked up right now, they are extremely loaded at first base. That is a position that they have four first basemen in their top 10 prospects alone. That includes, you know, like a Josh Fuentes. It's, you know, it includes a ton of guys that for my money probably have a greater chance. I mean, Tyler Nevin, Grant Levine, um, they're just guys that will likely just be better in the future than a Michael Toglio. And that's not to say that, you know, he's going to be some massive bust. It just seemed like a switch hitting first baseman that didn't clearly put himself above everything seems like, I mean, it just seems, it seemed like a reach to me. I just didn't really see it. Um, and then their second pick, I mean, he was a closer and a hitter. Um, he's got the arm strength, but I mean, once again, there's just, if, if you're drafting a third baseman or a first baseman, what you want is power. I mean, those corner infield spots are not getting drafted necessarily for their fielding. They're getting drafted because they can hit the ball and hit the ball hard. And he's another guy that is going to struggle to be, is going to struggle to be, you know, that huge power hitter. Um, Carl Kaufman, you know, safe pick should be, should be a good, you know, pitcher could develop into a back of the rotation. But as far as the second day draft picks, I noticed a huge trend and it was that Jeff Breidich and the rest of the front office and the scouting department were drafting pitchers that were relief pitchers. And that is one of those things that I think is... It's, I wouldn't say it's inexcusable, but it makes no sense to limit yourself from a draft perspective by drafting relief pitchers. I totally get it. You know, a guy like, you know, a guy like Jacob Wallace from UConn, I mean, he was an absolutely amazing closer. Totally understand it. Maybe one day he can be a reliever for the Rockies. But basically what happens when you draft a reliever instead of a starter, you are you are limiting the upside that you can have with that pick. If you are drafting a reliever, it is going to be very hard to transfer them to a starter. Whereas if you flip the situation and you flip and you draft a starter and turn him into a reliever, that is a much easier path to success. And it gives you the opportunity to get a starting pitcher out of the deal. Starting pitching will, I, I get it. The The way baseball is being played is moving towards bullpens. But at the end of the day, look at the teams that are winning championships. They have quality starting pitching. The Red Sox had Chris Sale, David Price, Rick Porcello, Eduardo Rodriguez, good starting pitchers. The Astros, Verlander. I mean, now they have Cole. They just... Their rotations are ridiculous, and when you are able to throw your bullpen out for two innings at the end of a game, as opposed to four every game because your starting rotation is struggling, I mean, the Rockies know that story like anyone else. Having starting pitchers will always be more important just because a bullpen can only last so long. So to see them draft three separate relief pitchers, and one, I mean... It's just, I, I, it's so hard for me to understand 
when you draft a guy like Kosti Shock, who was not even a great relief pitcher in college, I mean, his numbers would tell you that he was not a great relief pitcher. He's not a very hard thrower. He's a huge, huge kid. I mean, I believe he's six foot seven. Um, and he only throws a mid 90s fastball. So that tells you that maybe if they're able to add some weight on, he could probably, you know, he could probably put it together, but he's also had control issues. So the more you start to tinker with his velocity, the weirder those control issues are going to get. I just don't see quite what they were kind of looking at in those positions. And not to mention two of the three fielders that they drafted. Brenton Doyle will probably be a good outfielder. I mean, he's he's a he's a solid fielder. Um, he absolutely crushed the ball in college. So I, you know, there's upside there, especially at 129. Um, totally get it. But then when you go down to Isaac Collins and Jack Yalowitz, you're looking at two guys that not only didn't have power, but also didn't get on base at a super high clip. And it reminded me because they're both speedsters. It reminded me of a guy like Billy Hamilton, who everyone was clamoring to have in their organization, but then he didn't get on base. So you cannot utilize the speed if they're not getting on base. So when you see guys that are so specifically tied to their speed, but also cannot get on the base, it immediately scares me with the type of upside they could have. I mean, sure, you have the speed. You have some of that stuff that, I mean, it's hard to teach speed. Totally understand it. But if the other tools aren't there, the speed is irrelevant. Overall, I just really, the draft was very confusing to me. Jared Horn out of Cal was, is a great pick is a he was great at Cal I mean third best ERA um through five separate games of eight or more innings that's a good pick I can totally see the safety in drafting a guy like that that has shown he can go deep into games has shown he can be consistent really like that pick but outside of that um it's really hard to fall in love with any of the picks they made I have an article going up kind of with some more analyzation on those draft picks tomorrow. So be sure to check that out. Um, that's all I have for you today. Obviously coming off of an off day, there's limited storylines. Charlie Blackman looks like he may head out on a rehab assignment. Wade Davis is inching closer. Um, so the Rockies are getting closer once again to being whole. Um, I guess Bud Black is you know, should be crossing his fingers at this point that they don't have another injury because it seems like every time a guy comes off the injured list, another one replaces him. Um, so overall, I think the Cubs series is going to be difficult as is the series in New York with those strikeout problems that I talked about, especially on the road. Um, it's, they're just being forced to play catch up. And I think that's very difficult for them. But check in next time with us, folks. Keep checking on milehighsports.com. Leave any comments. Leave a rating. Leave whatever you need to do to give us some feedback on what you, you know, what you kind of want from the podcast moving forward. Feel free to drop me a question in my DMs, you know, at me on Twitter, at Luke Zalman. And I'll talk to you next time, guys.